like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk welcome to the latest edition of the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports on today's episode we will talk to two-time gold medalist maggie steffens one of the brightest stars in one of america's fastest growing sports water polo. Uh, Maggie's got family connections back in Puerto Rico. Her father's from Puerto Rico. She has kicked off a really awesome campaign to try and raise money for the victims of the hurricane and for the rebuilding efforts. We go deep on that. We go deep on her love of uh, Puerto Rican music uh, and just the, the pressure that uh, that she feels to, to try to make something positive out of... Um, what is a really, really difficult situation. And uh, we're also going to break down the latest happenings in the sports world, uh, which can't say it was the greatest week in the world to be into sports, but we will do our best to make you not want to just put on uh, the saddest music ever and and get into a corner by yourself as best we can. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago, and joining me on the line is Gareth Hughes, our seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer from our Brooklyn Bureau. Gareth, let me just say this. The Yankees are currently playing in the playoffs. How much has New York caught that second wild card game <laughs> fever? Uh I'll say this. I think the people of New York City were more into the Yankees this year than I'd seen in a long time, just strictly because of Aaron Judge. But I haven't seen anyone get that excited about baseball since the Mets of two years ago. That was like, that was a fun moment to live in New York and be like, oh, cool. We're into this. Okay. Got it. Go Mets. Um, We'll see how the next tonight plays out. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I haven't seen anybody in New York get that excited about baseball since two years ago. I mean, get fucked, bro. Like, <laughs> That's fair. I'm I was I, hold on. I, I, I was also <laughs> like, no, no, no. but Brad, in that moment, t- forget the Cubs part of that. That was like, I was just every pet peeve I hate about sports statistics. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like, that is the longest run since week four of 2016. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's yeah, yeah, a yeah. year. That's one year. <laughs> Can I just tell you right now how much I love the Cubs are back in the playoffs and I am apathetic, brah. <laughs> hey, we might win, we might lose. It's cool. I'm still I'm still trying to sleep off the hangover of last year and I am loving being like the new Boston. You know what I mean? Oh, like, dude, the just... Red Sox got swept by the White Sox in 2005. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's like, oh, what a bummer. Cool, let me pop in those big poppy VHS tapes from last year. 100%. Oh, good. Uh, anyway, I will say this. I tweeted tonight, Starlin Castro, SI cover boy from the, the, the first Theo years, uh, we had him, we, we we raised him, we dealt with all of his foibles, 
and the greatest moment in Cubs history when he pretended to throw to first base after <laughs> the other guy got the ball, the third baseman got the ball. And uh, he's playing for the Yankees, and I, I tweeted, uh, man, if you're a real Cubs fan, you're rooting for Starling Castro. And this guy got right back to me. He's like, there's not a single way I could agree with this more. And I'm like, you know what? Real Cubs fans out there, we love baseball. We love our players. Starlin, uh, I hate the Yankees, but uh, if you win the World Series, I will be happy. Anyway. Adam Millard, not here tonight. Joe Reed, M-I-A. <laughs> we, need, <laughs> we need like a new term for Joe Reed when he's been missing for like three or four weeks. So we need like a, a, a Joe alert. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just... Trending emeritus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, right now we're going to take the open of the show and make it wide open. Gareth, uh, we've got some fun stuff to cover tonight. We're going to get into the fun stuff. I, I just think it, it would be... Annoying if we didn't address what's going on in the country. Uh, the shooting in Las Vegas, uh, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history, which almost seems insane to even just you know keep saying that. It just feels like you know this, it, it, we. This, just, it feels like we're keeping stats. Like it feels right. sporty. It's bizarre. What? Uh, uh, and it continues to get one upped. It's like. Oh, right, this is a right. faster computer than your last computer. Like, well, right, I, I'm right. not rooting. I'm not rooting for this. Like, it's right. just, it's just insane. Uh, I just want look. We're not going to sit here and give you polemics here. At least, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um, we, are <laughs> Gareth, Gareth may be on brand in a minute. I want to, I want to at least react to the way the sports world react to this. Um, I, I think it's instructive on the sort of communal stages of grief. You know, I mean, we had the the huge wave of thoughts and prayers, shocked and saddened, which came from like virtually all mainstream athletes on Twitter. Then we had things like now is not the time to be debating this uh, versus now is the time to be debating this. Like Bonnie Bernstein, for example, friend of show who we've talked to before um, was saying, like, let's wait a minute. And a Martina Navratilova, who was chiming in, saying, "Like, let's not, like, let's have this discussion right now." Could, could I actually? I of would course, like yeah, to take in. this moment to go on the record and say, Brad, if I am ever shot by in a mass shooting, any act of violence, begin the politicize. Don't wait for my body to turn cold. Get <laughs> political immediately. Okay, you have my public permission. It's going out on the airwaves. All right, let me read you some of Chris Long's tweets, and I think this is very instructive to the way the debate goes in this country. Um, uh, why do we need these weapons? Because we don't see Johnny on the spot uh, I- examples of people using them to combat terrorism, meaning uh, uh, we don't see a lot of people picking up an AK-47 and thwarting another person who had an AK-47. You mean like um, the Libyans and Back to the Future? Like that's not actually happening? Yeah, right, right. Um, why stonewall the conversation, he says. Uh, And here's the most instructive. Um, I am a gun owner. And uh, anyone else heard the I need him to defend myself against the government going rogue? That one's interesting to me. I'm not trying to ban muskets. I will say this. Gun control is not about uh, one versus the other, us versus them, uh, pro-gun, anti-gun. Gun control is a more nuanced conversation. And the only way that I believe we're going to handle this conversation is like Chris Long is saying. I own guns, but I'm willing to have a conversation about a limit toward weaponry in the United States. And that's 
okay to put on the table. And Gareth, I was surprised at how civil the conversation was uh, on his Twitter feed. It was not a lot of like crazy, slanderous, insane talk. It was an honest debate. And what I would I would say is, that's great. We should be having this discussion. And I think it needs to be between non-gun owners and gun owners, uh, people on both sides of the issue. And we need to come to grips with how are we going to handle preventing this from happening? The point that I liked most is like, I don't care if he's a gun owner. Like, as an American, you should be able to have this conversation. Like, right, you right. know, like it doesn't, owning a gun or doesn't owning a gun doesn't like allow you pass to this. Like, this is, this is number two on our list. Okay. What I liked most about Chris Long saying that is, why are you trying to stop this conversation from happening? Let's have this conversation, comma. Here's my position on it. I own guns. That sort of open invitation to dialogue is essential. And to listening, like that's what has to happen. That's the only way forward on this. Now, on the other side, the one, the beef I have with the extreme on the other side is you start to. I saw this headline on Slate today that was just like, gun control is never going to happen. And look, it might never happen, but the like, just I'm not gonna say that this is defeatist because I want like a policy change. I'm gonna say this is defeatist because it's like, dude, we're Americans. Like, wh- everything is like cowboy up and manifest destiny, and then it gets to like, what about gun control? Yeah, I don't know. It's just never gonna happen. Bringing it back to sports, I I I, I want to praise people like Chris Long, who are willing to have the conversation don't tell me that we can't talk about it like you can tell me you disagree you can tell me um you you can tell me that i'm uh ignorant or that i I, i'm citing wrong facts then show me the facts and let's have the conversation but god damn it don't tell me that i can't have the conversation because i'm dealing with i'm dealing with just as many problems in this country as you are wherever you are and i have respect for people in nevada and i have respect for people in Idaho and I have respect for people in Peoria and Ohio where Gareth you and I grew up in small town Ohio we are not liberal elites living in the city who don't know what it means to live anywhere else and if you want to email us just not sports at gmail.com I'm happy to have the conversation with you and uh, I, again I go back to no. God bless the athletes who are doing it because a lot of athletes just use used uh, social media to say thoughts and prayers and Look, that's great. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rip anyone for giving prayers to people who are suffering or dead. That's that's a perfectly normal thing to do. But uh, you know, maybe maybe a follow up tweet uh, in an era when we, when we spend so much time when we spend so much time, Gareth, talking about LeBron James and Kyrie Irving's subtweets, we should be uh-huh. spending just as much time talking about Chris Long's tweets about I'm a gun owner and I want to have this discussion. That's my take. Agreed. Okay, Brad. There was another terrible event yesterday besides the shooting in Nevada. Is this fucking LeVar Ball? No, but I'm out on that story, dude. You you and Joe Reed can talk about it all you want. I I don't care. I don't care. I mean, I get it, but I'm just, especially when the basketball's out of season, I'm talking about the death of Tom Petty. Now, I have two things I wanted to get into about Tom Petty. Number one. Was one one my (laughs) my perfectly made tweet about it? 
I didn't see that one. Okay, I wrote, Tom Petty is now the greatest American artist because he was an all-time musician, and his death distracted us from a vital debate on gun control, (laughs) which Uh, is like nothing more American than that, right? Well, uh, so this becomes a question I want to ask. Is Tom Petty the most agreed-upon artist of the last 50 years? Like, I'm a music snob classic rock people like does everyone just sort of agree that tom petty was awesome in a way that not you wouldn't agree on other bands oh man uh no i'm not a huge tom petty fan and in fact eric zimmerman shout out eric zimmerman if you're listening from oxford ohio our our small town said that lives in new york said (laughs) said once I heard the new Tom Petty song. I knew all the lyrics halfway through. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. It was I, running down a dream, maybe. <laughs> like, or no, what's the, you wreck me. No, it was you wreck me. It was like the, the, the other version of run down a dream. And he said, that's kind of the same song. I like Tom Petty. I like, I think he has his place in American music. I would not put him as the greatest I would not put him in the pantheon of great American artists. And when I say pantheon, I mean like the top five to six. I'm not asking that. I'm just saying, is he the most agreed upon? Like everyone's I've, and you would say, no, that's fine. But I no, feel like he's Bruce one of the, <sighs> who, who like, who, who does not agree on Bruce, right? Uh, I'm out on Bruce, bro. Yeah, but like born in the USA, like he appeals to everyone. He's like a Jersey guy. New York, like the the, the East Coast loves him. Like small towns love him. All America can get jingoistic about him. I'm throwing the flag on. I'm out. Uh, We're not talking Bruce here tonight. (laughs) Like, and I mean, no. But you asked me. You asked me. Is he the most agreed upon act in American history? No, is a fair question. Bruce, that's fine. Okay, is running down a dream. Is it a top three stadium song all time? <laughs> Did you just fucking ask me that, bro? <laughs> Did you yeah, that? Listen, well, hold on. Hear me out here, okay? There's a lot of good stadium <laughs> songs, but that one has like, like him playing that at halftime of the Super Bowl leading into like Patriots Giants to go Come undefeated. On, dude. Boy, do you even know me, bro? Do you even, we, we grew up together, man. We, were, we you came to my house and watched The Exorcist in 1993, and okay. you don't and you don't you don't think that I'm gonna give you 40 songs that are better than Tom Petty's "Running Down a Dream" for a stadium environment? Def Leppard's "Pour Some Sugar on Me" that's a stadium song. Like okay, fine. Metallica, like wherever I may roam, that's a stadium song. Like that's what I'm wondering. Like, are you saying is it the best band? Like, plays uh, no, it no, no, live no. Song? Here's yeah, I'm cutting you off here. It, I am conflating it with stadium because I saw Tom Petty in stadium. But here's what I am going to say. It is one of the top three all-time songs to see sports highlights cut to along with Dream On and Cashmere. That's my take. So, All right. Well, look, to answer your question, no, <laughs> no on both counts. Tom Petty, no, not best stadium song, not best uh, 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 sports highlight, highlight package song. Uh, I'm not going to any of that. I, I've also I've always said the uh, the greatest sports highlight package song never used is uh, 
is clearly the um, the asteroid song from Empire Strikes Back. Gareth, you and I had the, had the discussion in 1998, and I'm still <laughs> waiting to see it on the Final Four broadcast. All right, to end wide open, I have one more. Gareth, this week, the ultimate conversation was about what I call the butt hurting of America, which was Twitter moving to 280 characters and only like a handful of people getting it, and all the blue checkmark assholes being like oh no I, this is awful by the way if it was me i would be totally telling you twice as much crap i literally looked to try and find a database of like all the sports people who got it and i've only found two sports people who got 280 characters one was pablo torre Mm-hmm. who instantly had a lot of fun just being like, ha, 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 and 280 characters, which is the equivalent of taking a Lambo out to a parking lot and doing donuts, which, I mean, fine, Pablo, like, enjoy your moment, but come right. on. Uh, the second was Big Cat from uh, Barstool, who instantly noticed it and then said uh, multiple messages to Jack Dorsey being like, uh, this is stupid, don't do this. And I got to give a shout-out to Barstool and Big Cat for doing that because – uh, 280 characters on Twitter is terrible, and uh, they should absolutely 100% not do it. And thank you for using your platform for good. The thing, I mean, it started to pop up more and more. The jokes about how long it was ran out pretty quickly. I did find when people started to use 280 characters earnestly, like my eyes would glaze over, or I would just like scroll right past it in my Twitter feed. Like, it's just, it's not what I use Twitter for. Like, it's not it, man. Um, but what this came up, I think it was, um, I might be wrong, but I think it was someone on my tweet named uh, Kevin Buist. He works for the Grand Rapids Art Museum. And I've always liked his Twitter feed. And he basically asked the question if Twitter had started out like 10 years ago as 280 characters, would it have taken off? And I think the answer is not in the way it did. And like it would have had some sort of traction, but I think that 140 characters as annoying as it might've been at times, like quickly made itself like perfect for, first of all, people figured out how to get the most out of that space and make the funniest jokes and create new joke structures and things like that. I remember really early on in Twitter, you called me up and you were like, do you follow Dana or Dina Lohan's feed? And I was like, no. And you were like, oh, no, no. It's like fake Lindsay Lohan's mom. And she's really clueless. And they always cut off like mid-sentence. Like she doesn't know what she's doing. (laughs) And I started reading it. And I was like, oh, shit. That's really funny. And then hashtags were a joke for a while. And I remember messing around with those. And then I also think that 140 characters gave birth to... Look, memes and gifts. Gifts, and, yeah, exactly. No, it's just like I think that the the brevity necessary to make a funny comment led to like an explosion of visual humor that I think honestly will change the way that future generations, my kids' generations, communicate or see humor. Yeah. Twitter, get your shit together. Uh, Two hundred eighty characters go away. Big cat. Props on the show. Uh, Pablo Torre, props too. All good. All also right. go away Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, also. Uh, all right. That is wide open for this week. 
we are going to go to an interview with Maggie Steffens. Maggie is a two-time world champion water polo player, two-time Olympic gold medalist water polo player. And I was not lying when I said water polo is one of the fastest growing sports in the country. Maggie's just got a great, great uh, uh, personal story to tell about her connection to Puerto Rico, uh, her pride and respect in the people there. Uh, she's someone that, that reps the USA um, on the, at the Olympics. That is, that is one glory for this country, but she feels a very strong pull through her family back to Puerto Rico. And she has kicked off a really great campaign to try to aid the people there that I hope everyone gets involved with. By the way, if you are a fan of Maggie, the USA national team is going to be hosting China and the Netherlands in a four-game series this December. Dates TBD, but stay tuned for more. Right now, we're going to get to our interview, and when we come back after that, Gareth and I will give you some distractions. Stick around. I guess let's start here. Like, let's tell our listeners um, what your connection is to Puerto Rico because you have a very strong family tie back there. Yeah, yeah. So, my dad is from Puerto Rico. Um, so, my mom is from Arinda, the East Bay, California, not too far from where I grew up. Um, and we have a huge family over here in California. And that family is very important um, to me. It's one of my biggest values. And we have a huge family, so that makes it easy. <laughs> um, but my the other side of it that not many people hear about because we have such a huge family over here in California is the other side of um, our family who all live in San Juan. And so my dad grew up um, in San Juan. He has two sisters. Um, they lived in a couple different places, but he grew up playing all different sports there. Um, but water polo was kind of what led him to the States. So he was on the national team there, um, would come like one of his first trips to California actually was to Stanford, which is so mm -hmm. funny because he's a cow bear die hard, you know, all the way blood, sweat, <laughs> tears. Um, but yeah, so he played on the Puerto Rican national team, and then Pete Catino, um, who ended up being almost like a father figure to him and, and the Catino family, um, really kind of welcomed in my dad, who is, you know, this Puerto Rican who couldn't really speak that great of English, um, somehow was able to get through Cal. You know, he always jokes about how his kids, how we all went to Stanford and Cal. Um, <laughs> he's like, I don't know how that happened. Um, but so he came over here and, uh, did some stuff, won two national championships at Cal, did some stuff with the national team, um, was his family wasn't, you know, in the best money shape. Um, so when he was in California, um, which is really, really far, you know, for a small island like Puerto Rico, his they didn't have enough money to like fly him back and forth or fly his parents back and forth mm -hmm. um so he spent a lot of time at cal at christmas breaks staying in the fraternity um that's actually how him and my mom got close because he played with my uncles like a bunch of schnugs um 
and whatever, met my mom, and then they ended up staying over here. And so for me, growing up, it was always our family trips were to Puerto Rico. It was to the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, those are some of my richest memories because the the culture there is just – one of the most amazing things, you know, it's everyone there is family. So I have, you know, I have an aunt and an aunt and uncle, right. Who are literally like my, my brother or my dad's sisters. Um, but then I have a hundred more aunt and uncles who, who treat me like a daughter and treat our family like family. Um, and, you know, our family's a little smaller over there, but we're also super close. Um, and like, I don't know, it's, it's weird. Like whenever I think about family, I obviously think about the schnugs, but I think about being in my name, we called her Abby short for Abuela. Mm-hmm. Um, and Abby's like little tiny front yard and all of the family just sitting out there talking for hours. Yeah. You know, that's just what you do. Um, so it literally, that place is home for us. Um, and my dad is very passionate about family and where you come from and representing your family name and representing, you know, what those values mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been kind of ingrained in us since we were little. Um, and like, even for me with water polo, it's like, when I feel loose and I'm feeling good, like I'm listening to salsa music and like, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's in my blood and it's something so powerful, I think. And we are so proud to be Puerto Rican because of, because of my dad. And he's a role model for so many Puerto Ricans because he was one of the first to leave it's it's really hard to leave the island and like not necessarily do something but many people will leave for the east coast and come back you know and he like went to california and then he was a champion and then he started his own business and he made something of himself um and it's been cool for me just over the years i've met so many people who i've never met before and they're like khaki has been such an inspiration um so i don't know it's just there's these deep roots there i was gonna ask you i think for a lot of people this reinforced uh and in the most terrible way of course and we'll talk more about the hurricane and what you're doing about it in a second but this did reinforce for a lot of people just how connected puerto rico and the united states are Uh, in from a, a technical perspective but also so much of the cultural perspective so many people who have family roots there and i guess from your perspective is it surprising when so many people all of a sudden on facebook are realizing for the first time oh right like this is you know, technically part of the United States in a way and, and, and yeah. we need to be treating it with the same respect that we would the other areas that have been affected by similar tragedies. Totally. And I wouldn't say I'm, I'm necessarily surprised. I'm just like, okay, you know, now we're starting to get it. Um, because I think there's, there's two sides to it, right? Like Puerto Ricans are very proud to be Puerto Ricans. And like I talked about, there's a culture there that's very different than living in the States, right? But it's the same thing as somebody from, you know, maybe Texas or somebody from NorCal being like, oh, like, 
I'm from NorCal, you know, like this is what we're about. It's so different than maybe Oregon or so different than Florida. Like every place has their own little culture and that's what makes America great, right? Like the diversity, but there's that underlying pride of who we are and who we represent, what we represent, the values we represent. Puerto Rico is the same way. Um, and I think that's something I've really enjoyed from this tragedy is just seeing the resiliency of Puerto Rico and right. their their fight and their optimism. Like what they're they're saying, Puerto Rico se levanta or se uh, yeah se levanta. It's like Puerto Rico stands. Like we will stand. Yeah. You know, and like that's what America is about, right? And like how cool and how inspiring is it for them who you know most of my friends know like about Puerto Rico they've come to my house there um and they love it right and so they know what Puerto Rico is and but it's funny like so many people are like oh like Puerto Rico it's like Mexico you know or like (laughs) don't understand what a commonwealth means or stuff like that um so I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised I'm more just in a weird way right happy like we're all in this together. Like we're all on the same team ultimately. Um, although we may wear different flags at times, you know, um, or, or have a different culture. Mm-hmm. We're all on the same team. Um, yeah. And like, I don't know. I hope that this, it's unfortunate that something like this had to happen for even the the conversation right um to come about mm-hmm. you know but puerto rico's resilient and you know it's amazing to just hear them and and even like my dad has been taught like and he's one of the most optimistic you know just lives life type person and that's the puerto rican in him right and right I, we get to talk to him for a couple of minutes, you know, every couple of days when he was in Puerto Rico and he's just like, you know what, we're making lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, Puerto Rico, we will stand like we will come together and we will stand. And I got to see him yesterday and obviously had a, a good hug. And then right away, he was on the phone with people to okay, I'm in California now. Like, let's figure out what we can do. Yeah. Um, so. You know, and speaking of know, that, I, kind of, I mean, you, you've, you've jumped in yourself too. And I, when did you first decide, Hey, I gotta, I gotta do something. I have a platform. And how did you come up with the idea of pushups for PR? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I went, my mom, uh, we have a family home in Stinson beach, and uh which is a very special place to to our family as well and um (laughs) so this is a couple days after maria and she was there during irma my sister my mom and my dad were there during irma and i was in new zealand i didn't have any internet so it was it's it was almost harder being away from it and i was talking to my mom about it because when they were in irma Um, And it didn't hit as bad as it did the other islands. And they were super prepared. Like everyone was ready. They stayed in uh, their 
home in San Juan. Um, and I'm my, my sister, my brother and I are all in California and I'm in New Zealand, like stressing, mm-hmm. like can't sleep. Um, and they were actually fine. You know, they were like, we can do this, you know, like, okay, we're together. Almost. I was relating it. I was talking to her. I was like, it's almost like a sports game. Like when I'm playing, I'm fine. Like my nerves go away once the whistle hits. Cause you, you're in it, you know, and you can figure it out. You're there, you're a part of it. But like, if you're a fan in the stands, you are freaking out. <laughs> right. And like a team could be down by four and I'm there and I'm like, Oh, we're good. Like we're fine. We're down by four. It's all right. We'll get the next goal. And my parents or siblings or whoever on the stands are like, Oh my God, you know? <laughs> yep. And so she was, she got out of there after Irma, um, came back to, to California and my dad, you know, he was like, this is my home. Like I need to stay with family and, and make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're together. And so for Maria, my dad left our home and stayed with all of the Stephens, um, over there. They all stayed in the same home. And my mom was with us and she was starting to feel how we felt, you know, like she was a fan again not necessarily a fan, but she was in the stands watching, you know? And so we were at Stinson beach and none of us could really sleep. And, um, this was like a day or two after Maria. And so we we were like, okay, we need to get out this energy and this like negative emotions. <laughs> so we did like a circuit just like on the beach, just like a little workout. And we were listening to, of course, Spanish music, Puerto Rico pump up or Puerto Rico power Pandora. <laughs> and, um, just to, you know, like get our minds off it and do something else. And then we went inside and we were thinking about it and we were just like, Oh, like I wish it's so hard being away. Like you can't, we can't do anything. And then, um, we were sitting on the couch and then we we're like, screw that. We can do something like, let's figure out what we can do. Um, and then <laughs> we had been doing the circuit and I was like, you guys, like, why don't we just try to raise a bunch of money? And, you know, from here and cause that's what they need, you know, like supplies, they need money for power and generators. Um, they need money to help get the trucks back on the road, you know, and stuff like that. And so we were like, <laughs> literally in that moment, I looked at my mom and sister and I was like, you guys, we should do push-ups for Puerto Rico. <laughs> Love it. And then we just started getting like, we were like, oh, we could even do pull-ups for Puerto Rico planks for Puerto- we were just kind of like goofing around hey, hey and- not all of us can do pull-ups for puerto rico okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's go easy yeah. yeah so uh so then we were like you know what like clearly we're a fitness family we literally just did a circuit to get our minds off of maria and um and that was the only thing we could really do like we don't have enough money to send a jet you know like we have the love, like we're trying to spread the love and, and we were like, okay, we need to help spread awareness because, you know, it's what was unfortunate about Maria was so many Islanders um, came to Puerto Rico for safety as like refugees almost after Irma. And Puerto Rico was this welcoming island, like literally Puerto Rico spent money sending people and picking people up from all these islands that had just been devastated. And, um, you know, all of these people come to Puerto Rico thinking, okay, like I'm safe now. And then boom. 
And that in itself was just like, you know, that's what Puerto Rico is about, you know, bringing people in, making them family. Um, And then all of a sudden this hit. And so we were like, we need to bring awareness to this. Um, Maybe we can, you know, make some money. And so we were thinking even about like the ice bucket challenge, how like, right. Maybe we could try to do something where it uh, grows. So literally the next minute we went outside and <laughs> literally just like out of nowhere filmed that video and um, put it up. And, you know, we're about we're at about like 13 grand now, yeah. um, which is great. Like, I'm super grateful for 50 bucks, 25 bucks. I was like, literally, you don't even need to put money and just share the video or like, you know, share it so that they feel the love and, and know that they're being thought of. Um, and yeah, so then I basically reached out to friends and I tried to challenge a bunch of Puerto Rican athletes that I know of who, um, like when we were at the Olympics, Jess and I would always try to find like Carmelo. Um, we'd always try to find those Puerto Rican Americans. Right. And cause there's that pride there, which is amazing. Right. Um, they didn't do it, but they're also doing their, own amazing fundraisers um and we're much smaller scale and we knew we weren't going to be able to reach as many people but what counts is the effort what do you want people to know who are sitting here in the comfort of our homes like what do you want people to know about the next steps not just i mean look they should go check you out on facebook and uh or excuse me on your on your twitter on your instagram like there's all sorts of links back to the gofundme page um but like what do you want people to to know and to do and to and to and how do you want them to think about the challenges that lie ahead for Puerto Rico and how we should be as Americans thinking about um, those challenges in ways that are productive and might actually help. Yeah. I mean, for me, the main thing I think about is like, and obviously I'm very, I represent the USA. And so there's like, I have a lot of pride there. And for me, like one of the first things I think about as Americans is teamwork. And like, that's been a part of our foundation ever since we started, you know, and, and it's about that humility of we can be better, right? Like every day we can get better. We can grow, we can take on a new challenge, you know, but then we're not going to do it on our own. Right. We, it's a team and that's what Puerto Rico is doing right now. You know, they're clearly they're humbled by this experience and, they're working together. And, and for me, it's like, how can we all work together as one people, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I was talking to my dad and, and it was hard for him at times to get some words out. And, um, he was saying, you know, you will, no one will ever know until they've been through it. Um, and so we can be as empathetic as, as we can, but, you know, there's a lot of things you can't do in life when a hurricane has just devastated your entire, you know, home mm-hmm. and lands um, that we take for granted. There's been so much information and misinformation about the actual efforts that have been made on the ground. Since you had family mm-hmm. that were there, what did they tell you about the communication and the relief efforts coming from the United States? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I, like I said, I, I got to talk to my dad briefly and a lot of it was, I'm okay. I'm right, alive. Right. Um, your cousins are okay. They're alive. Um, 
we are, this is happening. There's a four mile long line for gas. I was able to get to the ATM today and got some money out. Um, my dad was really focused on like a restaurant opened and had some power. And so he was like, we need to go to the restaurant and, and show smiles and be each other's cheerleaders. Um, and Puerto Rico, like we will rise, like we will stand, you know, and, and literally those were our conversations, not even full sentences, but like, how much can we get across in two minutes? Like, te quiero mucho, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know, I don't remember what the date was, but it had probably been at least like a week, maybe eight or nine days, like after, um, the hurricane had hit and it was really unfortunate for him to I, when he told me that not much had changed and not that like nine days, isn't that much time for real change, but there wasn't much, um, help. Um, but, but also I don't really know in what regard or how or from who, um, also there wasn't much help because there was, there's no communication. Like, you know, I, I got to talk to him on the phone barely and same with my mom and, you know, he is getting frustrated because all these people are saying like, oh, we need to sign this petition or we need to ask for help. And, you know, he's like, we don't have a www.com right now. Like, right. We we can't do that. So we can't even the only way we can communicate with one another is if we see each other face to face or if we're lucky enough to have gotten a little bit of power and get some service. Um, so I think that really delayed a lot of recovery was simply it was very difficult to even just communicate in general so i'm super grateful just to hear how many americans have been helping and, and the government has definitely been starting to step in um and it's hard like it's hard to ask for more because there's so much going on in the world right um so i don't know that's a little hard for me to talk about because i don't i wasn't no, of there course. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, just thought was, I just think it's helpful to hear, again, I think we, we spend so much time on Twitter and, and social media citing other people who are just citing other things. It's just, it's. I think it's instructive yeah. to actually listen to people who have been on the ground and can actually speak exactly. to what they've heard. Yeah, and I think that's, that's something that, like, I love what social media is great at, is, is spreading the word and sharing knowledge and, and sharing a community. Um, but I always have a hard time talking about something if you know i'm not there i wasn't in the hurricane um right. you know i i'm not i can't feel what they feel as much as i can live through my like my family is there like my home is there but i i wasn't um and only they know and i think the more we remember that and with anything you know and and uh, some of my friends were in, in Vegas and just a lot of things have been happening where we can't imagine what they're going through. And, and we, maybe some of us can relate for sure, but what we can do is be a team, you know, yeah. and, and obviously I'm an athlete, so I always relate it back to team, but it's like, if somebody on your team is struggling, if there are a few people on your team that are struggling, whether it's emotionally or physically or, or mentally, you're going to do whatever you can to lift them up. So how long is the GoFundMe going on and how long can people still donate and do pushups? Yeah. So, I mean, ideally we're almost like, I feel like I'm, I'm starting a weird company where I'm like, 
I'm waiting for our big break, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, um, it's been really fun actually to, to go through and just see some of the people that have donated and, you know, who I've never met before. And maybe they know uh, my sister and then they know someone who knows my sister or they knew my dad or, um, whatever it may have been. And, and to see that like teamwork, you know, and it's amazing. And I'm just like waiting for that one big person to like do pushups for PR. And then, you know, cause that's honestly, that's what so much of it is about is that like, Oh, this person's doing it. That's cool. Like maybe I should do it too, you know, and, and get the ball rolling. And, um, so I'd love it to have a big break, but we're just kind of having fun with it. And like you said, there's purpose to it, which makes us feel like a little bit more in control of what we, what we can control. Um, ideally we put a, we put a goal of 50 grand, which was a huge goal, but literally we were made this, we made this campaign in two minutes and we were like, why not dream big? That's what we're about. Right. Like, that's what we've been trying to do since we were a kid. Like I've been right. dreaming of being an Olympian. Like we dream big. That's what our family does. Um, and, and so we're like, well, you never know if we get short of that. Amazing. Like literally we were just excited when we hit like a thousand dollars. So ideally what we would like to do is probably go, it'd be amazing if we hit 50 and if we did, um, unless it kept rolling, obviously we would keep going with it. Um, but we also, something that I think people forget about is that it's not just about the first day and helping, you know, it's sustaining it. Yeah. And like, I think that's the worst thing about a lot of natural disasters is that, um, the effects of it don't end the next day. The effects of it last for months you know, mm -hmm. even longer at times. So, um, we've, we've talked about it cause we were like, Oh, should we try to get a bunch of money right away and then, um, send it over right away through supplies or, um, with like power generators. And, and then we were like, you know what, like we should almost wait a little bit longer to see how much we can really make an impact, um, and like help sustain the, the relief efforts. Yeah, and like you said, that, that that's going to be happening long after the news cycle sort of moves on from the story. So it's an awesome cause. We tell all of our listeners, uh, go follow you on Twitter, at Maggie Steffens. Follow you on Instagram. Do some push-ups. Yeah. Do some good. Hey, do some push-ups. And, and give us, like, what's the what's the best, uh, like, uh, uh, Puerto Rico power song to be rocking out to during your, your fitness workouts here? For... Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um... You want to sing us something? I know, I know you can probably at least hum the tune here. Oh God. Well, okay. There is one song that any, so Elvis Crespo, I would just honestly start with him and then the, it'll, it'll take you on a, a great, uh, workout or just dance, dance time. <laughs> love it. I love it. All right. Well, look, musical recommendations and, and I, I'm just going to say this. We will, our show will not be your big celebrity break, but maybe, maybe one, of, maybe, maybe one, that one person who listens to us can know somebody. So, you know, yeah. we're doing our part. Great.
And we are back in the sports world. When athletes, coaches, media do anything interesting, we shit on them and tell them they are a distraction. They should get back to watching game film. This is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate the distractions in our life, and we're going to do that right now by telling you what is distracting us. Gareth, I'm going to start. No, 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 no. I texted you two days ago. I said I'm going first. Okay, fair enough. I got this. Go. Brad, you and I are both from Oxford, Ohio. We grew up together. And the other last week, I was out at a bar, a couple buddies of mine, and we were having dad night. We met these moms who were having mom night. And I ended up talking to this woman, Courtney, shout out. And she's really into podcasts. And she is really into true crime podcasts. You two would, I don't know, you guys would go round and round. So eventually she asked me where I'm from. And I said, I'm from Oxford, Ohio. And she goes, oh, from the accused? Accused? Yeah, accused. Yeah, from accused, yeah. Not The Accused, that is a Jodie Foster movie with a famous horrific rape scene. But no, so from Accused? (laughs) And I was like, what? And she's like, oh, yeah, big serial kind of true crime podcast about a murder of a Miami student in Oxford, Ohio in 1978. Yeah, by The Inquirer, right? Yes, the, The Inquirer did it. By the way, shout out to the Cincinnati Inquirer between Accused and their huge like one week in the heroin epidemic article of a couple weeks ago which was incredible and terrifying they're actually the inquirer is doing some great work but uh can i give a shout out to the inquirer for me being a finalist for their entertainment reporting job and they didn't hire me and i ended up uh, marrying my wife because of that thank you yeah mad props yo two children later um have you listened to accused Oh my god! I hate to say this, but no, it's on. It's literally on my iPod, and I have all the eight episodes or whatever it is downloaded, ready to rock. But I have just not. It's a. It's a. When you get into those types of true crime podcasts that are in that form of editing and and production, you just it's gotta be in the right dive. place. Yeah, you, yeah. It's like I'm saving it for the day that I'm like. You know what, man? I'm going to paint all the interior doors in my house because my wife took the kids to her parents. And, like, that's four hours and just nail it out. You know what yep. I mean? Like, yep. that's it. No, you have to pay attention to those. Um, similar to In the Dark, which we talked about on here uh, back in May, June. So, so I listened to the first two episodes. I'm going to continue on with it. But there was a moment in the first episode I really wanted to ask you about where. The reporter is talking about, so this murder took place in 1978. My family moved to Oxford in 1982. I think you were a little bit after us. <laughs> yeah, 1988. There yeah. we go, yeah. So she's talking about it, and she's like, there's a scene, like, it's the classic kind of like This American Lifestyle audio of her at a bar. And I was like, oh, that's probably Circle Bar. Um, but she talks about, like everyone, like, anyone you talk to in town remembers this murder and then there's like two pieces of audio from people who remember this murder or know about this murder and the show moves on brad i lived in oxford for a long time i can never recall hearing about this murder 
Never in my life. No one ever <laughs> talked to me about this murder. No one ever warned me about this murder. No one ever did anything. I got way more warnings about like high school teachers having sex with us <laughs> than this murder. I'm 100% behind you. Oh, my God. Stop it. Never heard about it. Not one time. So, all right, cool. Our parents in the the 80s and 90s let us ride bikes throughout a 12-mile radius of this this town doing whatever we wanted. We were fucking it in Derry, Maine, man. It was like, hey, mom, I came home at 945. Great. Son, how old are you? I'm 11. No problem. Like, it was not an issue in this town. Okay, great. That was all I had. Uh, Seems like a good show. I'm going to continue listening. But just so you know, it never came up in our entire lives there. Yeah, well, I, I will listen to it and report back. I am the, the, I'm a podcast connoisseur. All right, I got a couple ones for you real quick. Uh, we had Chuck Klosterman on the show recently. I actually reordered on Amazon, a.k.a. The Great Death of Our Economy, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. Uh, the first Chuck Klosterman book I read, and I, I I'm gonna reread that. It showed up Gareth as hardcover, and I got like Ooh. oddly excited. I was like, yeah, five dollars for a hardcover. That's gonna look good on the shelf. Uh, so I'll reread that. Give Chuck's stuff a read. I I wanna Gareth. I wanna start a Just Not Sports book club where. We read the horrifying autobiographies of athletes and discuss them on the show. Oh, and I want I want the first edition of this to be "Bad as I Want to Be" by Dennis Rodman, <laughs> and I want the second one to be "Worse Than He Says He Is" by his ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> I am reluctantly weighing on this idea. <laughs> Reluct, Gareth. You have five hundred books in your house, dude. You're liter- you a literature major in high in Brad, college. Brad, the joke was reluctantly weigh into this <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, look, we have we have audio books. There's no excuse, you know. I mean, I I dude, spend... I don't know if Simon Schuster's cranking out the audio book of nasty as I want. <laughs> well then guess what read it because i i spend 20 hours a week listening to this goddamn podcast and like editing it you guys can at least listen to some somebody read the dennis rodman book i'm sure it's on it's on vimeo somewhere <laughs> uh but i i think there's got to be like crazy sports books that are terrible over the years like the barkley book that he said he didn't he didn't write <laughs> like we right. have to review that right. right or the gronk book that he said he didn't read <laughs> We should call the Just Not. So, what do we call this? Like Just Not Books, or um, I think we call it something else entirely. We, we we can workshop it, but you know, we can break format with our show name. All right. Well, we'll figure. Readers, if or listeners, whatever you are of us, however you consume this, if you listen, if you read the transcripts that Joe puts online every week, uh, the, just you, let you us send know. a dollar away for a transcript of the show. <laughs> Uh, I definitely think we should start the book club. I definitely think it should be uh, it should be uh, Dennis Rodman. And I'm definitely going to be upset when I realize the, pe- the same people who will refuse to watch a Kevin Durant or Stefan Marbury movie to discuss it with us uh, on this show 
uh, tell me, no, Brad, I did not read the book. <laughs> I'm the only person who wasted my three hours of free time a, a week on this garbage. Get ready for that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that is our show for this week. Uh, wanna wanna give a shout out to our guests. Wanna give a shout out to all the uh, all the listeners who uh, send us uh, great tweets, great uh, great emails every week. Uh, keep them coming. We're happy to bring up any topics that you want. Gareth, any shout outs from you? Hey everybody, things are weird. Things are tough. Just keep your head up, man. Just try to be helpful and nice and kind to each other. We can all get through this together. Yeah, and hey, look, I want to say this. Uh, we probably should have said it on the top, like. Uh, just because you support the right of a, a a person to kneel during the national anthem does not mean you uh, don't appreciate the uh, efforts of first responders. Uh, uh, we know we do, and uh, the stories coming from Vegas about uh, off-duty cops like laying on civilians. Uh, look, it, it, it's what I said earlier. It's a nuanced time. Don't judge every action with a with a visceral reaction to the other side. We all appreciate every everyone that's doing great stuff in the, in this country, and we all appreciate our ability to speak out about the things that we care about. And let's just have the discussion. Um, and Adam's not here, so we're not going to give his shout-outs except for Gareth and I trying to do it. So I'm going to shout out my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Lil Swanee, Meech. Ron Mack. <laughs> My other cousin, Ron. Did we forget someone? No, we, you say this every time, and we have it, and we don't. <laughs> All right, well, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty.